0: Bankless Nation, welcome to this critically important episode of Bankless where we are going to talk about your wallet and you. How to set up a wallet and not lose all of your money. What does it mean to securely... Store your own crypto assets in the world of Web3. And in order to tell this story, we're bringing on a security expert. This is going to be an episode with Charles Giume, who is the CTO of Ledger. He's got a background in cryptography and hardware security, and overall knows all of the best practices to setting up your private keys, your seed phrase, your hardware wallet, your hot wallet. And make sure that when you put money into those things that the money stays there and does the things that you want it to as you navigate the wild, wild west of crypto. As we all know, at Bankless, we want people to be their own banks, but we are not naive at all in that this is a big deal. It is a big deal to store your own money. It is a big deal to self-custody assets. It scares a lot of people. It is intimidating. And it should be because of how big of a deal it is. But thankfully, we have people like Charles at Ledger and other teams working on the world of private key management to help us navigate the world of self-custody safely and securely so that we have all of the best that Web3 has to offer while still not losing our funds. We'll cover subjects in this episode like how to set up your seed phrase, how to set up your private keys, how to have and manage a cold wallet, in what ways is it appropriate to have a hot wallet? How should you have a hot wallet, cold wallet system? What about the entropy for creating a private keys? What's blind signing? What is transaction simulation? How should I not get fished? What are smart contract allowances? And when should I be concerned and when should I be okay with it? And overall, what is the future of wallet security, and private key management as we progress into the frontier. So I hope this episode for all of you beginners out there who are still nervous about self-custody and being your own bank, that this episode can give you some practical advice for how to do that and also some peace of mind that this is actually the right way to go. Uh, And for the veterans out there, there's still going to be some nuances and nuggets that you're going to learn, I promise. So let's go into this episode with Charles, the CTO of Ledger, and we are going to teach you all about how to practice Good private key management in this crazy world of Web3. Let's get into it. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Bankless Nation, I am here with Charles Guillaume, who is the CTO at Ledger with a background in cryptography and hardware security before coming into the world of crypto. Charles, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, hi, David. Nice to meet you. And uh, thank, thanks for having me today.
0: So, Charles, you have a, a tough job. Uh, the world of crypto is a world of self-custody, being your own bank, going bankless. This is one of the main core drivers as to how this world works. The concept of private keys, everything that we talk about bankless, everything that we talk about in the world of crypto comes down to do you own your own private keys? It seems to be the center focal point of this whole industry. So that uh, you, as the CTO of a hardware wallet company, you have a tough job. Um, when you wake up in the morning, uh, how does it? Does, do you feel weight on your shoulders for, uh, to make sure that this world is safe?
1: <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, to be honest, I, I sleep. Pretty well, uh, just because we are spending a lot of time and energy to do the things right. When, when you are in security, you know that there is nothing like bulletproof, uh, like uh, impossible to break. This is, this is not something that exists in the security world, but. What you can do is always improve. Like uh, security is not something static. This is a journey. And you have to make sure you implement everything possible to always raise the bar for security. And and this is what we what we are trying to do at Ledger.
0: So Charles, we're going to walk through a number of subjects in which we see beginners uh, trip up with and when, when it comes to maintaining their own private keys. I think people coming into the world of crypto, they're used to not having options that might accidentally steal all of their money. Like usually when they're navigating the Web2 space, Venmo or Wells Fargo, if they do something wrong, that's not a problem. They can There's somebody to talk to. That's not the same in this world. And so people sometimes get intimidated about having their own private keys because that means that there are buttons that they can press that nuke their whole like savings or send their savings to like the wrong person. Uh, and so we want to I want to make some content with you this uh, this morning, this morning that we're recording to make sure to educate people about all the choices that they need to make. And, and if they are going to be their own bank, you ready to get started? Let's go. All right. So the the three overarching categories, Charles, is uh, a wallet. How do I Set up a wallet. How do I maintain my private keys and how do I use this wallet in the world of Web3 in ways that are safe and secure and aren't going to uh, be at risk. So that's, that's the first one. And then we'll get into, okay, now that I have my wallet set up, what are the risks of me using my wallet out in the wild? And this goes into conversations of phishing. How do I make sure I don't get phished? Um And then also smart contracts. Uh, and so like, how do I make sure that the smart contract that I want to use is safe? So these are, are the three overarching uh, topics uh, that we'll want to go into. But of course, it all begins with setting up a wallet, uh, setting up your own bank. And so the first very big, big entrance point into this world is how does one safely establish a set of private keys? Uh, We all want to be our own bank, therefore we need our own private keys, but we can't just have a post-it note on the side of our computer that has what our our private keys are. Uh, How does one do this and why is this so important?
1: Yeah, key generation. This is a, this is an important piece. Uh, everything starts with that. And self custody means you own your crypto. You are your own bank. You don't ask the permission to anyone to spend your money to uh, hold your NFT. Like you are on your own, and you are the power over your assets. So everything starts with that, because your cryptos are on the blockchain. So owning crypto means being the only one to know your secret key, to to have this knowledge and to be able to prove that you own uh, this knowledge and to do so in terms of cryptography, this is what we call digital signature with a digital signature, I'm able to prove that I know my secret key without revealing any information uh, about, my, about my secret key. So this is why a secret key is very important. And it's even more important for blockchain because of immutability. If ever uh, an attacker gets an access to my key, he will be able to uh, sign a transaction, drain my wallet, and there is no central entity where I could complain and say, oh, that was not me. I didn't want to do this transaction. This is not something possible. Right. So, this is the
0: difference between our private keys and Wells Fargo is this concept of immutability. If you accidentally make a bad transfer with Wells Fargo, you can call them up and get them to reverse it. If you make a bad transfer on Ethereum, it is immutable. It is one way.
1: Exactly. And this, this is a big uh, paradigm shift, and this is something... Uh, you, everyone needs to uh, keep in mind. So you, you have a big power, but also a big responsibility, as uh, mm-hmm. someone, uh, someone famous said. Um, mm-hmm. But everything, everything starts with uh, key generation. So you need to make sure your keys are randomly generated. That means, randomly means uh, several different things, but that means they have a high level of entropy, like the zero and one of uh, the bits that uh, forms this private key must be evenly distributed, let's say. Uh, And also that it's very difficult to guess them. The space for private keys is very wide. It's uh, 2 power 256 bits. So this is something very, very wide. If you try to uh, pick randomly uh, a, a new key every um, millisecond during uh, several times the age of the planet, you won't be able to find mine. Like The space is very wide. But in order to, um, to be sure your secret key is secure, you, you, m- you must be sure that... It's generated evenly in this very wide space.
0: So this mm. is this is something uh, very important. So uh, can we just pause? And I want to make sure I, I understand that. Uh, private keys—they're really, really long string of randomly generated characters. And because there's so many characters, like A through Z, uh, zero through through nine, it creates what you're calling an like an almost an infinitely wide possible set of private keys. There are more private keys than there will ever be need for that number of private keys. Like if every single, what you're saying is like if one human generated one private key, every single millisecond, that would still be an infinitesimally small number of private keys in comparison to the whole possible set of private keys. But your, your point about emphasis on random generation is that, okay, great. We have this massive total possible number of private keys that are out there But if we're going to generate one, the way that we need to generate one doesn't need to have patterns to it, because then it would actually constrain the available, the the practical supply of private keys. If there was nuances in how we actually uh, derived the private key, is that my understanding? This correct?
1: Yeah, your understanding is 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 really good. Uh, You explain even better than me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So if your key generation is, is not good, is not, uh, evenly distributed, and it, uh, actually, it happened uh, a few times in the past. I remember the profanity tool. Maybe you remember this tool. This, this is a tool uh, which is able to uh, generate vanity address, so uh, mm. address on Ethereum that starts with some zero. And in order to do that, you, you just have to generate plenty of keys, derive the, the private key in order to uh, uh, get an address. And as soon as uh, the address starts by the number of zero uh, that you would, would like, then uh, it's a hit, uh, the, you mm-hmm. keep the seed, and, and that's your seed. You can do that in a, in a, in a, good, in a good way, uh, in a secure way, but the way Provenity was uh, implemented was not good because instead of generating keys which are like 256 bits of randomness, that was only 32 bits. That was just a small bug in in the in the random code generation in the cast. Like if you if you are, if you know a little bit um, like a C language, a cast is when you change the size of um, of your type. Like uh, let's let's forget forget about that. But just the space of keys was was not two power uh, two hundred and fifty six. That was two power thirty two. And this space is very small, actually. Uh, With with a good computer, you can generate all possible uh, profanity keys. And this is uh, something that has been done. And a few wallets have been drained because of that. I also have another story in mind, uh, like BCI Wallet. This one is a little bit old uh, for... For for OG, uh, maybe they will they will, they will uh, remember. And BCI wallet was uh, using random.org as a source of randomness to uh, create new wallet and new set of private keys. And at some point, uh, random.org simply changed this, uh, the the API. And um, when the wallet was uh, uh, requesting for a new random number, you obtained a four or four. So instead of having <laughs> instead of having a, a a good large number, you get four or four four or four all the time. So that was a big uh, a, a big uh, fail in the space because plenty of people were generating uh, wallets with four or four as a seed, which is which is definitely not a, a large large random number.
0: Okay, so th- these are just two different stories about how. People have tried to do finesse some private key generation in order to. For the first example, was a, uh, for a vanity address. Some people, for funsies, they like to have their Ethereum address start with 0000 for fun. Uh, and there are ways to generate in this an address, but if you are not careful, you accidentally reduce the entropy. That goes into this private key generation and you go from this very, very secure space of almost an infinite number of possible private keys and an infinite number of ways of devi- de- driving those private keys. And it really just constrains it. And so this it w- w- the stories that you're telling uh, me now is really all about the mistakes that people have made with not allowing enough entropy in the private key generation that makes it susceptible to outside recreation of those private keys. Is that is that the, the takeaway message we should have? Exactly.
1: And as soon as as an attacker you understood the mistake, then you can simply generate seeds right. and drain wallet because you know the keys of your victim.
0: And as an a, a hacker, like I you're not doing this one at a time, you have written a bot that will do this extremely quickly and a, a, at very high scales, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Then as soon as you understood the, the issue, it's, uh, it's just a matter of optimizing the code. You can use GPU to be faster mm-hmm. and, and faster. But as soon as you know the mistake, it's, uh, it's just a matter of time and mm-hmm. an opportunity cost. Like how, how much does it cost to generate all these keys? How much money I can earn by draining these wallets? And unfortunately, it's uh, always on the hot side when there, when there was this kind of, um, of vulnerability.
0: Sure. Okay. So say I'm, say I'm a brand new user and I just heard this story right now. How do I not fall into that trap? How do I, if I'm using Ledger or the MetaMask or any other wallet, how do I know whether or not I'm falling victim to bad entropy or not?
1: It's, it's quite difficult to, to have good guarantees on, uh, on the entropy of your seed. I can explain how we are genera- generating random number uh, on Ledger products. So we are using TRNG for true random number generator. So inside uh, our devices, like uh, we have a secure element and inside this secure element, there is a dedicated piece of hardware, which is called the TRNG, and uh, it's specialized at generating random. And uh, it goes through um, independent certification, and there there is a dedicated speci- uh, certification for um, random number generation uh, quality, which is called AIS31 or EAL- EAL5 Plus certification. So long story short, that means does a TRNG go through different statistical tests, entropy model with some uh, mathematical evidence uh, that m- must be provided to uh, the evaluator. Also on the hardware itself, there is some online tests because there is a risk that during um, the evaluation, like everything was fine with the, the random number generator. But whenever you use it for any reason, it doesn't work properly anymore. So there is dedicated tests that verify uh, some basic properties about the TRNG uh, when, when it runs. And it allows to uh, detect a potential defect. And on top of that, we are adding some uh, cryptographic post-processing retreatment. So even if uh, the entropy would be low uh, from the TRNG, this cryptographic retreatment allows to uh, amplify the entropy uh, just in case. Um, so when I say that, I think we have like the, one of the best setups in terms of generating uh, random keys. And, but the problem I see is you, have, as a user, you have to trust us a little bit when you do when you do that. Uh, I think it's the best idea to do that, like trusting us by generating uh, your, 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 your secret. But if ever you don't want to trust us, you don't have to, because it's possible to import your own key inside the device. Something possible also would be uh, to generate a key on your device, gener- gener- generate another key on something that you trust more, and then simply XOR them uh, in and doing so. You, 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 you have the quality of randomness that is inside the secure element, plus you don't really have to trust us. This is, this mm. is something you can do.
0: Okay. So is it, is it true that with modern wallets, like definitely with Ledger, and this is really the product that Ledger's building is security to the nth degree to the point that the customers don't have to think about it. Uh, is it, would it be true that like with Ledger and other wallets, uh, like MetaMask, like the entropy saw a problem at the retail level. If you're not doing anything crazy is largely solved.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, when it comes to MetaMask, uh, if you don't use hardware, because if you use MetaMask, I, uh, I, I think it's a great product, but it's not that great when it comes to like sec- securing your private key. So what you should do is using a ledger device and connect it to MetaMask so that mm-hmm. you have the great connectivity that offers MetaMask with the security provided by uh, ledger devices. Because if your keys is secured in metamask only that means any kind of malware running on your browser or uh, on your computer more generally would be able to uh, simply extract uh, your your seed and this is not something uh, you you would like and to your point i don't really know how um, the seed is generated within metamask if you generate it in in a software manner and uh, generally speaking, like computers are not that good uh, to generate uh, keys. I, I think it could be uh, acceptable, but storing them in uh, in in your in the software wallets is not a good idea from, from my, my standpoint.
0: Certainly, and this gets us into the subject matter of hot and cold wallets, which uh, I want to talk about a hot and cold wallet system. Uh, but really just to tie a bow on this part of the conversation, you're saying like computers are... Making a private key inside of my own computer is less secure versus like inside of a, a ledger because ledger has that unique dedicated part of the hardware wallet that is meant to do this and so while computers are great there are risks risks with doing inside of a computer sometimes the the entropy is not so great or the verifiability of the entropy entropy is not so great and also you are connected to the internet which is the big one um but there are benefits to being having a hotware wallet as well and again we'll go into that is there anything else you want to add before we tie a bow on this conversation
1: no i think it's it's uh, it's a great summary so yeah first of Mm -hmm. all Generating your privacy on on software could be a little bit tricky because there is no reliable way uh, and mm. uniform way to generate good secrets on computers and and it's the same uh, for for your mobile phone. Even even if on mobile it's a little bit better because you can use strongbox and, uh, and and on on Android and uh, and the key store and on on iPhone you can leverage this for uh, key generation. Um, and, uh, and for storing them definitely uh, it's not, it's not a good, a good way to, uh, to do that.
0: Okay. So say I've just got my first ledger. I've written down these 12 to 24 words that come out of a, the ledger, which is your, your seed phrase. Actually, can we talk about that? Um, there's the difference between a private key and a seed phrase. And I think we need to unpack this before we go into the next conversations, which is where do I write down my seed phrase? What, what's the difference between a private key and a seed phrase?
1: The the seed phrase is a human readable way of your master secret, let's say. And so it's a sequence of 24 words. And there's 24 words directly to translate to a a string of uh, 0 and 1 of uh, 256 uh, such uh, bits. And from this this seed, this seed phrase, uh, we will generate different private key per blockchain and per account. So you have one master secret. Which allows to generate private key for every single account and every single blockchain. So this is the the the, the difference between the these two.
0: Okay, so a master password. I really I really like that. Twenty four words, all human readable words like fox, magic, um, elephant, like ra- random words that are basic words. There's a list of twenty four of them. Uh, how how does that? How do those words actually come to create? private keys and public wallets. Like, is there is there like an algorithm that pulls out these things out of the seed phrase? We, yes, there, there, was a, there was an algorithm which is standardized. So first of
1: all, these 24 words are uh, taken from a dictionary of 2,048 uh, words. Each word has a number and an, an index, so if you if you take the first word which is abandon, abandon index is zero 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 like eleven zero, and mm-hmm. so you will uh, get those twenty four words, put it in a string way like in a in a in, in a bit uh, in in a bit representation, and then you have um, binary representation of uh, your master secret. There is some redundancy at the end of the of the, of your seed phrase, just in case you, uh, you mistype one word, you can verify this. Let's forget yeah. that. And mm-hmm. from this, um, this 24, this 256 bit, uh, master, master secret, you will derive private keys. And to do so, we are using one way function, uh, one way function with, with the hash function, for instance. And the, the, idea is that from your seed phrase, you can completely deterministic, deterministically, generate your private keys for your Ethereum account, but the, the opposite is not possible. Like when you, if ever you know your private keys, there is no way to go back to uh, mm. your uh, master secrets while the, the master secret to uh, private key is, is something possible with one-way function.
0: Okay, so my seed phrase will allow me to make and derive a list of private keys. Like almost, I... I, I Endlessly, an endlessly long list of private keys. And then one of those, if I know one of those private keys, I cannot go backwards to create the list of words. It is a one way only. So if you know the private key, you don't know any of the other private keys that your seed phrase will create. You only know that one private key, but your seed phrase will create any private key that's dedicated by that seed phrase. And also you said something that it also works across any blockchain how does this work? How does my seed phrase work on both Ethereum and Bitcoin and Solana? How does that work?
1: The the, the difference is just the way of derivating uh, the master secret to different blockchain, and then there is a there is a dedicated dedicated field in the in the in the derivation which specifies which chain you are derivate, derivate, derivating deriving to, plus an other index which account. This is the this is the best
0: okay, so my twenty four seed phrase words are the entropy, and then there is a unique derivation path using that same source of entropy to a specific blockchain, so like my twenty four words uh abandon elephant magic spell whatever uh these are not my words um <laughs> uh so that's just that is just entropy. And then you add this one more component, a derivation path, and then you get entropy for Bitcoin and entropy for Ethereum, entropy for Solana. That's how that works. Exactly. Okay. So like, is every single character in a C phrase word relevant? Like, so for the word, I know, I know that a word elephant is a word in this, in this dictionary. Does the derivation path or the entropy need every single letter in the word elephant or does it only need a few of them? So as I
1: mentioned, this is not really the letter which is important, but like each word corresponds to an index in the mm. dictionary. So okay. in elephant, what is important is not the fact that it's the E-L-E. No, no, what is important is the index of elephant mm. within the dictionary.
0: Okay, so, so there's this common dictionary that the crypto world has determined is the dictionary that we use and we can't add we can't add or remove any words from that dictionary because it has to be standardized so there's this like standardized just, di- dictionary that we use it's got it's got a very large number of words and each word has like a, a specific serial number attached to it and then the ordering of those serial numbers creates all the entropy that we need in order to be secure
1: exactly you said it very well.
0: <laughs> cool, awesome. Well, you're I'm, you're walking me through this. This is great. Okay, cool. So now we, we've covered entropy. We've covered seed phrases. We need to write down our seed phrases because twenty four words. It's not a super high number of words, but I mean, I can't remember twenty four words of a specific order. So we so people usually write, write these words down. Yeah, don't try. We'll we'll talk about why that's a bad idea. Um, but people usually just write these pieces of write these words down and then they store them somewhere. Uh, can you talk about the mistakes or the mistakes that people make and what they should do in order to securely write down their words?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the common mistake we see is like people want to digitize their twenty-four words, and they 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 have they are quite innovative when when it comes to finding new way to digitize their twenty-four words. The something that we see quite often is that they are taking a picture of the twenty-four words with their phone. And when you do that, like you have inside your photo album of your Android phone, there is a photo which contains your 24 words. Maybe you have noticed, but sometimes you uh, install some random application and they just ask you uh, to grant access to your photo. You say yes. As soon as you say yes, that means your, this application, which is completely random, can get an access to your 24 words. And for an attacker, it's very easy to put a piece of code which will simply scan your photos and try to uh, figure out if there is a list of 24 words inside. So this is this is something trivial and this is already happening. So there, there are some bots uh, out there which, which are uh, simply leveraging this uh, uh, very common vulnerability, uh, trying to find if there is in your photo, um, a photo of your 24 words. So this is a common mistake. Uh, another one is to like write write your 24 words in an email so this is something that could happen also like some people uh, draft an email and put their 24 words in the in the email i don't know why they do they are doing that but it happens uh, sometimes and again if there is a malware on your computer if someone has an access to your mail if there, there, there are plenty of uh, ways uh, to access to uh, those 24 words or simply you want to uh, to write them down in your block note or in your in, in any um, uh, file on your computer like all these cases you uh, if you do that you end up with the same security as if if it was if you were using a software wallet and uh, and this is uh, this is completely not secure against like uh, uh, a malware
0: Right, and I think that that is really the punchline that it becomes the same security as a software wallet. So the takeaway here is that any form of digitization of your seed phrase opens up your risks to the scale of the internet. The internet's a hostile place. Uh, There are people out there in many different ways trying to snab some of your valuable data or whatever. And so, like, there's a there's a chasm that you cross when you go from writing down your seed phrase with pen and paper uh, to writing down your seed phrase on some digital form that is connected to the internet. And so like, there's almost like a binary amount of difference where like one is like oh pen and paper. You're totally secure when it's related to the internet. Cause it's not on the internet. Oh, did you write that down in the note section of your iPhone? Did you email that to yourself? Did you take a screenshot of that thing? Uh, did you store it in Google drive? Like if you cross that chasm to having that on, on a computer on the internet somewhere, then like you're opening your ups up yourself to the, a long tail of risk that you don't even know how to account for. Would you say this is accurate?
1: Yeah, definitely. And you, I think we have no idea of the potential of attackers. Like I'm, I'm in, in the space, like in security space for, for a long time, since I'm 12, I think. And I, I saw uh, the, like the, the potential of attackers growing very significantly. And now there is a market around uh, the v- vulnerability, um, um, like you can buy and sell vulnerabilities and they, they are quite expensive now. When I started, like, uh, selling vulnerability was not even a thing. And, uh, and when it started, it started with uh, the bug bounty program where um, the vendors get, uh, got quite uh, upset when people were, uh, were publishing vulnerabilities. And then they started to incentivize a security researcher to uh, pay bounties and, and to uh, give them vulnerabilities before uh, publishing them. And after that, they, they, they started to we started to see uh, some market around vulnerabilities. And uh, as of today, if you go on uh, zerodium.com, for instance, uh, the, this is a, this is a market where you can uh, buy and sell critical vulnerabilities, and they are quite expensive. Uh, for instance, the, I think the most uh, the most expensive one should be um, zero-click and zero-day uh, 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 remote code uh, execution on Android or on, on, on iPhone, I think, and I think it's around two million. And this kind of vulnerability allows like any attacker to get the full control of your mobile phone without you doing anything. Like this is the, this is the, the, the the kind of vulnerability. And these are like, this vulnerability are, are sold like not every day because this one is quite tricky, Uh, but very often, very often we see uh, attackers Leveraging this kind of vulnerability uh, to, to sim- simply to do money or to spy on people because this is often uh, also related to uh, government. And with crypto, we are entering a new era where, like, the opportunity cost is really interesting. Like, if ever as an attacker, I'm able to drain all the wallets, all the software wallets of all, every single user in the world just by buying a vulnerability, like, then two million is nothing. Like uh, this. This is where we we are entering with uh, like with crypto and this uh, this uh, security market.
0: Okay, so let me check uh, a behavior that I have about myself with you. Um, sometimes I I open up a brand new crypto wallet just to experiment with it, and it makes me write down a seed phrase before I get into the wallet, and then it tests me to make sure that I actually wrote it down. And so I take a screenshot of that seed phrase because of out of convenience. And then, and then I fill in the, the seed phrase because it's testing me in order to open up the wallet and then I can open up the wallet and then I play with it. And then that seed phrase is still in my photos. And I, and I know that, but I'm not going to use this wallet. I'm just testing this out. Maybe I'll throw like $10 in there to like, try it out. Like I'm, I'm okay. Right. Like I haven't violated any rule. If I know that I'm not going to store a lot of large amount of money in that wallet.
1: I think you, you said, you said everything. If you are sure that like you won't put any valuable on this wallet, mm-hmm. and when I say valuable, that could be like a, a monetary value, but also like emotional value, sometimes mm-hmm. you really like this nFT because you have an emotional connection with it, even if it's worth nothing, if you are not in this situation, if you are completely okay with losing everything that is on on this wallet. There is uh, there is no debate. You, you you can be unsafe, but you have to be very cautious. Not mixing up like your uh, your the wallet for, for which uh, you are valuable on it, on, on it and the, the wallet test, which is which is uh, two different things.
0: Okay. So I've written down my seed phrase. I've done a good job to do it either through a ledger or a source of entropy I know is secure. And I've gotten my 24 words and they're written down physically on a piece of paper. Uh, what do I do with that piece of paper? How do I make sure, how do I make sure my seed phrase is actually secure?
1: Um, on this, I'm always a little bit reluctant with giving like uh, an advice. Um, what is important is is to is for you to question yourself like uh, who uh, like do you want to be the only one having an access to uh, these uh, twenty four words to your friends? Do you also want your wife to be aware of those twenty four words uh, you, you have to question yourself what happens if my maid uh, uh, finds those twenty four words? Uh, what happens if some someone comes at home with uh, with a gun? Like, should be in a position where I could give my twenty four hours. Like, this is about your OPSEC, and your OPSEC is very personal. So, the first thing is to is to make sure that it's in a safe place, like uh, not not in, on your desk, or otherwise, like. Uh, you are putting on your desk potentially a lot of value um, but you have to question yourself and to find out what is the best OPSEC for you um, like if ever my Ledger wallet like uh, fails, like it's broken because you, you have put it in a washing machine um, how long do you need to recover uh, your wallet in one uh, uh, in, uh, in new device if, if, you, if you're completely okay with uh, like a one week to do, to do that, maybe you, uh, you might be able to uh, hide it out, uh, outside the, of your house. Uh, maybe you would like to cut it in two, but that, I, I think there is, there is different trade off, and I, I won't give you mine, uh, but uh, I, just try, <laughs> I just try to give, to give you what, what are the questions you, you have to ask yourself, and then uh, you, you will be able to find out the, the best option for you.
0: So your answer to this question, where should I store my seed phrase, isn't actually an answer. It's perhaps another set of questions, which is like, do you live alone? If yes, do you want to be the only person in control of your private keys? If yes then okay, I guess you can keep your private keys at home. Do you have a roommate? How much do you trust that roommate? Like, How long have you known them? Do they know that you have private keys? Um, Do you have a family? Do you have kids? Do your kids, might might they accidentally find your private keys and not know what it is and accidentally eat it because they're that young? Who knows? Um, Do you have a dog that might eat your private keys? Do you have a maid that comes and cleans your house and they are going to be next to your private keys? Do you have a place uh, a, a place, another home, another family member that's not, at, not where you live and you can use their place to store your private keys? Do you trust them? So really your answer is to so like, oh, you actually have to look inwards and start to answer these questions for yourself more than you actually having a prescribed answer for us.
1: Exactly. Also, you can take into account the scenario where your uh, house uh, gets fire. Mm. What happens if it happens like uh, if your your device and your 24 words are the only uh, way to access to your phones and your house is burning, what happens for you? This is the kind of uh, of, of thing you you have, you have to ask yourself, and depending on your answer and your appetite to risk and your convenience and so on you you will have a different answer for storing your your twenty four words.
0: Okay, Charles. I want to run by. A, a, this is actually a personal setup that I've had in the past, and then I've changed it, and then that I've, I've brought it back. So this is something I've done in the past where I have I have a ledger uh, with me, uh, and I do not have the private keys for that ledger with me. I only have the ledger with me, uh, and so like this makes if if my um, if the place where my private keys are goes and is uh, is lit on fire has a fire and those private keys are destroyed I only have the ledger but then I would hear the news of that fire and then I would transfer the money from my ledger to a new set of private keys and I would be okay. Does that make you nervous at all? If like if there is a moment in time where the private keys are gone from the world but I still have access to my ledger, does that make you nervous?
1: Not that much because uh, you have a backup just because of this reason like uh, if ever one of the two backups uh, is not is, is, uh, you don't have access to it anymore then you you have you have another option maybe. but maybe you would like to have another another backup this is this is always a trade off of, uh, of uh, what you to risk what what's your impact on on the uh, on the u x and so on but maybe we could mention uh, quickly the plausible deniability feature we have uh, on ledger devices. So you have this 24 words that we were uh, referring to uh, before, but uh, there is a functionality which is specified by the standard, the Bit39 standard, where you can add an additional word. Uh, Actually, it's a passphrase. You can add a passphrase to uh, your 24 words, and this passphrase creates a a completely new wallet. And one idea is to use uh, this functionality for plausible deniability uh, reason. So you have your 24 words wallet, where you put like uh, 10 bucks on it. And you have this uh, 25th word, which mm. creates a new wallet. And if ever, someday someone um, uh, threatens you to uh, give all your wallets, then you will show him your wallet containing only the 24 words. And you will see, oh, there was only 10 bucks. And maybe he, he will drain your wallet. but you it's a way to have a plausible deniability because there is a hidden wallet.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Okay, so let me run through this again. So uh, a seed phrase is 24 words, but in the BIP39 standard, which is the standard of how the dictionary standard that we were talking about earlier, there is an additional mechanism to add a 25th word, which can be like a password, like maybe a, the normal password to your computer, although not suggesting that. Um, and and then that, compl- that basically adds... And uh, another word to the point where like all of the entropy is brand new again. And so you have two wallets. Actually, you have the wallet that you need the 24 seed phrase words to get access to. And that is your plausible deniability wallet. You put like a, a, a something in there just to satisfy your attacker. And then the real wallet is those 24 words plus one more word, which you might maybe keep in your head. And that is your actual wallet with all of your money. And so it's like an extra secret key and lock to open up a much bigger safe rather than this dummy safe. This is this the right way to describe this?
1: Yeah, you described it uh, very well. And with that, you can, you can think of like new setup to uh, store your 24 minutes, mm. because like, mm. there, was, there, was new, there was a new mechanism which allows more flexibility, more options. So this is something you can consider, but this is not something I um, recommend to new users uh, because, like, it's more for power user because it can be a little bit confusing and so on. So, I for new user, I definitely would recommend like use, using using the, the regular twenty-four uh, word uh, seed phrase, storing it in a piece of paper in a safe place, like keep it simple. And then, as soon as you get more comfortable uh, with this secret, with with self sovereignty and self custody, uh, then uh, the twenty fifth word option uh, it, it can be uh, can be considered. I think.
0: Okay, is it possible, Charles, to over engineer a wallet security? Have you ever seen someone like try and make a Fort Knox, and they accidentally like create a system that's too complicated, and they lose their money? Is it possible to overdo it? Yeah, definitely. This is,
1: uh, and this is why I, I start with saying this, like newcomers shouldn't use this uh, complex feature because I think it's, it's more an advanced feature. And the, like, the kind of uh, mistake you could do is the following. You, uh, note, you write back your uh, 24 words on the piece of paper. Then you choose a strong passphrase for as a 25th word and you uh, you 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 don't write it down otherwise you it defeats a little bit of the purpose you 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 try to remember it and you simply simply uh, forget it and that's it you have completely lost access to uh, your wallet forever so this is the the kind of um, the kind of uh, thing that could happen and also i I'm thinking about uh, Luke jr, the guy on uh, the Bitcoiner. bitcoin yeah yeah he like he overfought, i think his OPSEC setup like he and i i think he it's it's easy to say this when he lost his, his money but i think i i think sometimes it's more simple to use like uh, off the shelf uh, security solution because like there was a lot of investment and and people uh, we try to make it simple and secure on his hand what he tried to do was really complex and uh and he, he didn't want to uh, trust anyone and so on. So this is a different set of const- of in of, of constraints, but uh, at the end it it, um, it ended with uh, with the loss of his, his money, which is a, which is a, um, quite unfortunate, let's say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so maybe to summarize, like it is admirable to try and create a self-custody setup that you uh, built yourself because if you build yourself then no one how can anyone attack it if you built yourself it yourself but i think the counter argument would be like the off the self so- solutions are there's a lot of investment into the product and the product is to not have any sort of vulnerability so also don't discount the value of an off the shelf so- off the shelf solution too
1: yes if if you want to do better than what we do you are actually competing with a company of eight hundred employees, which is mm-hmm. here for um, eight, seven or eight years, and which is formed by like um, um, like uh, global global specialist in security. So this mm-hmm. you are competing against Ledger when you are trying to do your own your own security solution. Maybe you can do better, but it's difficult. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay uh but the, the last subject i think we should go into before we talk about some uh, more virtual stuff like smart contracts and, and phishing is um a cold wallet hot wallet system uh can we can we quickly talk about what what how do you define a cold wallet how you do you define a hot wallet and is it appropriate to have both and in, in what scenarios would you have both
1: yeah so i i think the the debate of temperature of wallets is uh is a, a, a long story debate. Um, from my standpoint, I would define like hot wallet as a wallet where you want to make plenty of transaction, um, possibly like automatically, uh, this kind of thing. While a cold wallet is a wallet where you have more governance, and when doing transaction is uh, takes more time. And so this, the cold wallet is a wallet where you will do typically very few transaction. Where a hot wallet will be a, a wallet where you will do more amount, more transactions. And when you uh, think, we, we, when you think about that, like exchanges have this mechanism, like hot wallet and cold wallet. Like when uh, at the end, an exchanges uh, an exchange has plenty of Bitcoin, plenty of Ethereum, and uh, stores maybe ninety or ninety five percent of all this Bitcoin and Ethereum in a cold wallet that they typically don't do much transaction on it, like maybe one or two transactions per week. While they they also have like five five percent of uh, their uh, holding in a hot wallet, and the hot wallet is is typically more um, like, is doing plenty of transactions. When you are um, funding Ethereum on an exchange, you are sending your money to a hot wallet, and when when you are withdrawing uh, from the exchange, you are withdrawing uh, to uh, from the hot wallet, and. They are trying to make sure they always keep the same threshold, like ninety percent, ten percent, something like this, because the hot wallet is quite automatic. Like everything is done automatically without any control and governance. Uh, There might be some automatic heuristic to make sure that there is no one uh, trying to withdraw everything from the hot wallet, but it's essentially automatic because you don't want someone to validate uh, the transaction of uh, you when you want to withdraw, like what is uh, from uh, your favorite exchange. So this is the this is the trade-off they are uh, putting uh, in, uh, in in place meaning the hot wallet is very automatic with low level of security because it's very difficult to have something very secure with automated process while the cold wallet is more uh, more secure but with less less transaction and more governance around uh, the use of the the cold wallet typically they will say okay the cold wallet can only do transaction to uh, the hot wallet, like the whitelist addresses, and if they want uh, to do transaction to another uh, uh, wallet, they will probably need like to gather uh, five approval out of five uh, out of seven, like this kind of thing that can be implemented uh, at the at the wallet level for the for the cold wallet. So this is how, and and quite often, like exchanges got hacked. But when they got out, this is only the hot wallet. It it happens quite often and they try to have insurance in order to cover or save funds. Uh, if you, if you're um, thinking about uh, Binance in order to cover the loss, but this is something that uh, happens quite often. And if you want to do something quite similar with um, your like uh, individual experience in, in Web3. So as I was mentioning before, you have you're holding, which is valuable for you, whether it is emotional, an emotional value or monetary value that you put on your cold wallet. And typically, you don't use often this cold wallet because uh, this is your valuable, this is your saving, this is the NFT you like a lot, so you just want to keep them secure. So you put them in your in your wallet, you have a long pin code, you, you can even put this in a secure place because you, you don't need it uh, quite often. And also, you want to do some DJ things on NFT on DeFi with a, a smaller uh, portion of uh, your wealth, and it can involve some blind signing, which I strongly don't recommend to do that. Uh, and for that, you might want to have a second wallet, a second. And but I still recommend using uh, a hardware wallet device for a hot wallet where you will. Um, pay less attention to, uh, the sign, to, um, uh, to the transaction you sign, to the transaction you sign, to the approval the allowance that you put on your NFC or ERC20. And if you want to do some DeFi, uh, DGN thing, uh, stuff, uh, I, w- I would recommend uh, splitting both wallets and uh, do what I mentioned. The the worst that you could do is to mixing. What you want to be cold f- with what you want to be hot. Uh, if you do that, the, the big risk is to sign a transaction where you are drained from everything f- from your wallet. Uh, it was a little bit long answer, but uh, I, I tried to explain a little bit the difference between the two.
0: No, I, I think that's great. I think that really the TLDR is, um, uh, again, we the world of crypto is being your own bank. So you should think about your wallet set up as like a bank and a bank has a vault in the back that's hard to get to. And then they have like tellers in the front or like a cashier in the front. And Mm -hmm. if a bank robber comes in, your setup should be that they can really only get to the hot wallet first and they can't get to the vault in the back. Ideally, they can't even come in. But if they do get in, they only can access the funds in the cashier. Or they can't access the funds in the vault because the vault is behind a door. Uh, and so think of your hot wallet as like the cash in the the cashier's like teller desk and then your cold storage as like all of the money that's in the vault and it's way harder to get to. Uh, but Charles, you said something in that description that I want to unpack a little bit. You said exchanges or cold wallets often only ever send money to the hot wallet not other things. And this is actually um, something that I think Kevin Rose is now doing now that he, he got phished because of his NFTs. There's like this idea of if you do have a cold storage wallet, if in order to be maximally secure, that cold storage wallet should only ever send funds to and from a single other hot wallet. Can you explain the benefits and, and why people do this?
1: When you do that, you you are sure that the only uh, transaction that you will sign from your code wallet is a simple transfer, which is which is always uh, well supported by uh, our wallet. And when you do a transfer, there is there is no much risk on your wallet. There was there is no risk. You you understand everything from the beginning of the. Of the uh, to the end of the transaction, you send this very NFT to this very address, you verify everything on the device, and then it, it arrives on your hot wallet. And then you will need probably to uh, create some allowance because you will need to, You want possibly to uh, sell it on OpenSea or this kind of thing. But when you start to do that, it, you, you might sign like off-chain transaction, you might sign um, a complex uh, smart contract interaction, Sometimes they are not always well supported by the device, but it's it 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 won't have any impact on your cold wallet because the asset is not on your cold wallet anymore, but it's on your hot wallet. It's a good, uh, I I think it's a good, uh, good, uh, good way to a good practice to do that.
0: And so this is this conversation is getting into the world of uh, smart contract risk. So we're beyond the risk of private keys. And beyond the risk of, like, how is our wallet set up? And now it's the risk of uh, smart contract wallets. And so um, uh, many people, the way that they build their NFT portfolio is they have an NFT vault. And that vault is just for long-term storage of their NFTs. And importantly, they never actually sell NFTs through the vault. If they want to sell an NFT, they send a, they send the, that NFT to the hot wallet. And that hot wallet then, in order to make a sale, has to go to something like OpenSea or any NFT marketplace. And it has to give that NFT marketplace permission to move that NFT because that's how a marketplace works. So if you want to sell your NFT, you have to give a marketplace permission to move it in the, in the event of a sale. But then you're starting to open up your that wallet to the risks of allowances is what you were is the word you use allowances. And so you own that you want to ideally contain all of your allowances to a single wallet so that when you know that you send your NFT back to your cold storage wallet, your cold storage wallet hasn't made any allowances. It is literally a vault. And so you can use that vault word appropriately and not like a vault, but with 17 different back doors into it. And so that's, that's kind of the setup. Is This, this is all right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, the way I like to think like security, and this is, a, this is something I always keep in mind when we build new products and so on. Like there are three main security properties that we want to fulfill with our solution. Uh, the, the first one is like key generation. Uh, we, we talked about that, like in a secure area uh, by a secure uh, TRNG. Then, whenever you want to sign transaction, like, the cryptography must um, uh, take place within the enclave. Like, the, the secure key, the key must never leave the enclave, basically. This is the second property. And the third one is, as a user, you want to be able to uh, have a human readable way to understand what you are about to consent. And for that, First of all, we have the trusted display on our devices. You have a dedicated display, which shows you uh, what, what you are about to consent. And this is really important because if you blindly sign for any transaction, maybe you, uh, you, you will simply transfer your NFT, but maybe some smart contract will drain all your wallet. This is something you, you, you have to, to, to keep in mind. Uh, this is very important. So. For that, we have the, the the concept of clear signing. So, first of all, the, the, this interaction happens on the trusted display of the device. But secondly, the idea is for the device to be able to understand what it is about to uh, to to sign. And for that, this is what we call the smart contract interaction. So, we have um, developed some framework allowing to uh, different DApp. Uh, to be integrated within the drive and to be able for uh, the device to understand what it, what it is about to, uh, to consent. But sometimes it's a little bit more um, tricky. And this is where allowance and uh, access permission comes. And so basically allowance and or uh, access permissions allow a third party to have the right to perform transaction of a certain amount of your tokens, when it's uh, ERC20, or directly uh, to your uh, NFT. And all of this is possible without giving the privacy uh, of, uh, of your wallet. This is a, you don't need to give your key, but you give a smart contract to a third party uh, permission to access to a uh, part of your wallet, whether it is your ERC20 or a specific, uh, a specific NFT. But uh, this, always, this always must be handled with uh, care because for instance, as you were mentioning, when you interact with a secondary NFT marketplace, uh, you will need to allow the marketplace to access to a certain NFT. And then you will do off-chain signatures. This is how uh, OpenSea is, is working. So off-chain, off-chain signature is, uh, is, is a uh, regular signature as for transaction. But the difference is it's not committed on-chain directly um, for, for, for various reasons. Uh, but I think it's a bad the, tra- di- the
0: transaction is signed, but it's not broadcasted. So yeah. you sign a message and then you give it to OpenSea and OpenSea just holds on to it for a little bit.
1: Exactly. So Open, the, for OpenSea, this is quite simple. You will sign a tra- uh, transaction, a message saying, I'm okay to uh, sell on my NFT for this amount. And uh, a buyer will uh, see your listing on uh, OpenSea and will sign a message saying, I'm okay to, um, uh, to buy this NFT for this amount. And then you have to sign message and you bundle this message in a big, in a, in a smart contract interaction, in a transaction, in the Ethereum transaction. And you submit this uh, on chain and the OpenSea smart contract will say, okay, uh, there's two things match. Uh, so it's possible to um, it, it's possible to to do the the exchange. So this is how open C uh, uh, schematically, but the problem is with off chain signature they are vulnerable to uh, what we call in security talk to like time, time of check and time of use. Often when you uh, enforce some governance, you want the governance to be applied whenever you check it. When it's when it's, um, uh, when it's off-chain signature, you check something at some point in time that might be executed a long time after. So maybe in the past, you wanted to uh, sell your NFT for 0. E, 0. 0.1 ETH and you forgot about it, but an attacker gets this uh, this signature and a long time after buys your bank for 0. 0.1 ETH. This is something what, what, which happened for, for, for OpenSea. Uh, in in the past, so I th- this is first uh, an issue, and uh, and I think this this design is driven by the fees. Uh, like uh, as we would like to do everything on chain, uh, saying I'm listing my NFT uh, like on chain. Uh, I'm 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 okay to sell it for this amount, and I'm I'm okay to buy it for this amount. All those uh, messages uh, should be on chain and published to everyone, but OpenSea is not doing that because of the uh, the price of fees uh, for Ethereum, and I, I think it's a it's a bad practice. And we are in a point where like we have these DApps which build um, interesting application, and they decide to enforce. Part of the rules of chain, but this is not the purpose of uh, blockchain. Blockchain must enforce uh, the rules. This is the this is the purpose of blockchain. This is the purpose of, of a smart contract, and I think we uh, should spend more energy on like solving the scalability challenges for Ethereum, uh, in, including fees and associated fees, uh, rather than building non secure experiences uh, on L1. So I think like this kind of design uh, shows us that we are targeting like a short-term op- a revenue opportunity rather than thinking long-term. Because if you think long-term, what needs to be uh, solved is the fees and the scalability of Ethereum and not this kind of hack uh, which uh, leverage uh, L1. That, that would be my, uh, my, my two cents about that.
0: Yeah. And, and this is really all about um, just the way that OpenSea and other NFT platforms works in order to save and route around extra gas fees is that you sign a message saying, I approve of this NFT being sold given these parameters. And then you give that uh, transaction to OpenSea and they just custody that tra- that that note for a long time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you set uh, the time parameter on that as like and this transaction is valid for indefinitely. And so like all of a sudden you have this outstanding note that you've given to OpenSea and they custody of that note and you've given up control over that thing. Uh, and so there's other various like instances where something like this might happen. But this is all boiling back to the world of allowances. Uh, and so... Can we just go back to the concept of allowances and talk about how people need to think about allowances and the wallet that they use doing their high activity, high touch, high frequency DeFi NFT stuff?
1: Yeah. So again, allow- allowances um, and or uh, access permission that allows a third party that could be OpenSea, that could be uh, Compound. For instance, uh, when, when you do uh, lending or borrowing on Compound, you... Provide you grant access to compound, to compound to use your funds, which are your ERC20, which are uh, in your wallet. When you uh, use OpenSea and you uh, grant OpenSea, you approve, you you sign an approval to OpenSea, like OpenSea will have an access uh, to, uh, like OpenSea smart contract, uh, more specifically, will have an access to your NFT uh, to do a transfer. We think it's okay because Everything is uh, defined in the smart contract of OpenSea. You, so you can, um, if you are uh, uh, tech savvy and, uh, and you, you have time, you can verify what is uh, in, the, in OpenSea smart contract and understand in which condition OpenSea can use your NFT. But yeah, but the problem is that uh, when you do that, an attacker can leverage this allowance uh, in order to, uh, to to buy your NFT for, for a cheap price, for, for instance, and, and, and so on. So that's why I think it must be handled with care, with care. And if you don't need to sell your NFT, if you don't need to do anything with your NFT, there is absolutely no reason uh, to uh, grant allowance to anyone. You, you, you must revoke. Every single approval that you have on your NFT and on your est twenty, if you if you if it's the case as well. And there was, there was a website called uh, revoke.cash, which allows you to list all your assets and and to check which which one is uh, uh, for which one there is an allowance and uh, and so on. And because allowance are on chain signature.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so ch- I want to check my understanding about this. So again, going back to first principles. Uh, we get to be our own bank. We have our own highly secure bank vault that we are setting up. We're doing a good job setting it up because we're doing proper entropy, proper private key storage, all the things that we've talked about thus far. Um, but we, ne- okay, so now we have this vault that's super secure that has our money in it, but we want to go do some DeFi things. So we want, we will go to Compound, like you said, and we'll allow Compound, which is a smart contract to access a specific token in our wallet. And so we've created a door into our vault and that door goes to compound and gives compound allowances over certain tokens in our wallet. Now, there I want to unpack the difference here because sometimes we can give allowances that do a very narrow set of things that are probably completely safe and secure, as in giving uh, allowances to compound smart contracts or maybe even a more simple smart contract than compound is not really adding any new risk because this contract itself has only a very narrow set of things that it can do. And it's not actually, it's provably because of what's in the smart contract, not going to steal from you. As in like, it can only do a very small set of things and all of those things are, we are totally okay with. And there's no third party human who can change that. And that's just, but that is just one smart contract. There's another world where like we approve and give allowances to another smart contract. And that smart contract is totally vulnerable and can totally be changed. And the rules can change. Can you help us unpack and navigate like what the difference is between giving, you know, smart contract A versus smart contract B, how one can be secure, how one can be vulnerable? Can you, can you guide us through this conversation?
1: Yeah, this one, this one is difficult. Uh, difficult to answer, but what you said is uh, totally correct. Like uh, giving allowance is not bad per se. Like it, it, uh, sometimes you need it to uh, to access to compound. Sometimes you need it to uh, to, to to sell your favorite NFT to uh, OpenSea. My message is more: if you don't need it, don't allow anything. Like there, there is no reason to to open a window. Like uh, don't need it, don't don't grant access to anyone. And when it comes to like selecting the different uh, smart contract and understanding what uh, what smart contract and uh, and what kind of uh, access you you would like to to give them, it's it's a little bit difficult. So first of all, re- reputation is, uh, is is something that you you could uh, you could take into account. When you use Compound, you can trust Compound, I think. When you use Uniswap, you can trust Uniswap and um so when you sign this kind of allowance uh, this contract can be uh, can be trusted when it's a completely new um smart contract that has been deployed like yesterday maybe uh, you should uh, you should think about that so maybe it's not uh, uh it's not that good also when you when when so quite often, this is like phishing. Like some people ask you to uh, contact you by DM, and they ask, simply ask you to sign this uh, uh, indirectly to sign this uh, this very message, or, or to this to do this uh, allowance to this uh, smart contract. But I think, like again, there was some signs like people uh, reaching out to you, asking you to do something. Maybe there was a, it's a little bit fishy. Also, also there was uh, something I say quite quite often, like when it's when when when, when it seems too good to be true, maybe this is the case. Maybe it's too good to be true. <laughs> uh, and, and this is something uh, I, I, I keep in mind quite often. Like um, when, when, because almost all the, all the time, like phishing people are just making you think that you will earn more money than usual. And mm-hmm. then you get tricked and then you, you sign a transaction that gives full access to a smart contract, which is uh, held by the, by the attacker simply. So yeah, you, 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 will be to, to do, you will have to be uh, cautious and to, to question yourself, keep calm. Uh, yeah, this kind of thing I think, I think is important in, in this uh, wide west.
0: Charles, I think the last question I want to ask about is uh, a phrase that you used earlier, which is blind signing. Uh, what is blind signing? Why is it bad? And how should people uh, think about blind signing in order to maintain safety in Web3? For me,
1: blind signing is simply signing a message without understanding what it means. Like when you do that, maybe you are about to do a very good trade and it's good for you, but maybe you are giving away all your holdings, like all your holdings. This is possible. This is something possible. When you blind sign, maybe you grant access to a malicious contract to all your wallet, to all your Ethereum wallet, and the smart contract will simply uh, empty all your wallet. So this is something you have to keep in mind. When you blind sign, uh, you are taking a lot of risk. So going back to our previous conversation, if ever you blind sign, you probably should do that on a hot wallet where there is only what you are okay, ready to lose if ever there is an issue. Don't do that with your main wallet because if you do that with your main wallet, you, you might lose everything. So, I personally I almost never blind sign. Like for me, this is a, this is always a big issue. Like signing something I I I don't understand completely. But if ever I do, I do that with a completely new wallet, and I'm like, if ever I'm if ever it it goes wrong, that's not a big deal because uh, because this is a not valuable NFT. This is, a, this is the way you, you, we should
0: see it when you blind sign. So I, I would say, like, I think most of people's activity in, in, like, doing DeFi stuff is blind signing, as in, like, when they go in and maybe I, I'm, I need to understand what blind signing is a little bit more. But, like, say I've just opened up a brand new wallet. I go to uh, app.uniswap uh, or uniswap.app, which is the URL, and then I just immediately give allowances to spend my USDC and I, it goes to MetaMask, I hit approve, it goes to my ledger, and I just hit approve because I've done this a thousand times before in different wallets. Did I just blind sign on Uniswap? Is that what I just did?
1: Uh, it depends what is written on your device. Uh, I, if you do that this way, I don't know if you, have, uh, if you have a clear signing on your device, but for instance, if you go on Paraswap, I'm sure of Paraswap, and you, you are using your device and you are about to trade, like to exchange, one Ethereum uh, against uh, one USDT, like one thousand USDT. Um, on on your device, it will be uh, written like you are about to swap one Ethereum against one thousand uh, USDT. Are uh, you happy with that? And then you consent. But if you have only if you only have um, a hash to sign, like this is a complete blind sign. If you have the address of uh, the smart contract plus the amount involved, then you you can be sure that the, this, the there is only this amount that is that is, it mm. is that is at risk. So it's a little bit less blind, but you don't understand fully uh, what is about to, uh, to to happen because you don't really know what the what kind of method of the smart contract is called. So like. Between blind signing and completely clear signing, there are plenty of uh, uh, shade of gray. And uh, our target, uh, us for Le- uh, at Ledger is to provide as much uh, information to the user so that he can consent uh, in, a, in an informed way. And this is, a, this is not something easy. That's why we have built platforms that are in DApps to, uh, to, to, to make sure their interaction are well supported. But uh, I think the DApps ecosystem grows faster than the, the different interaction, I would say.
0: Yeah, and this is really a, a, a multifaceted. Um, solution space as in there is no one clear solution to blind signing, but I I would imagine like maybe a couple of uh, solutions that come off the top of my head are, um, hardware wallets that have larger screens so that we can put more words on them so people can read more words. Uh, but then also transaction simulation is a new frontier in this world where, um, we need systems to help simulate a transaction so that the output of the transaction we're about to sign for can be displayed to us, so that we can understand like what the, that outcome is. Uh, so those are the first two like solutions that I'm sure are are non trivial to work on. Are there any others? And just overall, what is there, your philosophy on how we solve the blind signing problem?
1: Uh, you know it's uh, it's a uh, it's a good segue because we are working on both. <laughs> We are working with on the, on the feature which will be called web Switch Check. So we are working on Ledger Connect. Ledger Connect will be an extension and uh, mostly iOS first and, uh, and uh, Safari after, allowing you to connect your device to uh, Safari and iOS. And within Ledger Connect, you will have a feature called web Switch Check. And web Switch Check will, will implement uh, various heuristics in order to give you an idea of um, the risk that you could take uh, signing this transaction, also compute uh, predicted balances and so on. Like this, this is the the kind of feature that will be uh, implemented in Web3Check. This is the first thing, and the second thing, having a device with a wider screen with better UX. This is also something we are um, working on. It's more than working on. We we have announced it at Ledger Open, and it's called uh, Ledger Stacks. And uh, and finally, there is the There is the support at the operating system level of the smart contract interaction. And for that, uh, we have, uh, what we did so far is to open our stack, our our technical stack and allow different uh, dApp to uh, implement their interaction uh, within our Ethereum app. But then it's a matter of um, doing it and uh, making sure the developer ecosystem is uh, as uh, everything it, it needs to, uh, to, to actually implement uh, these features in, in, in our ECM in our app.
0: Beautiful. Charles, thank you so much for walking me through so many of these subjects. Are there any other subjects that we haven't touched on that listeners should definitely know about when it comes to maintaining security in Web3? No, there
1: are plenty I'm of sure th-
0: this list can go on and on and on. Yeah,
1: this is a, an infinite subject, uh, but I think we have covered most of the important things, like... Uh, Key generation is, uh, is something very important. Uh, second, like making sure that your secret never leaves the enclave, like uh, the, the second, the second feature, and the third one, which is the most complex one, uh, how as a user you can like uh, understand what you are about to consent, like uh, the, the clear signing plus trusted display. The, those are the important things, and also different good practices with uh, hot wallet, cold wallet. Um, uh, good practices. Also, we touch a little bit on uh, allowance. Again, uh, don't uh, give allowance if you don't need to. Uh, Maybe you might uh, want to uh, revoke them. Um, Don't ever uh, share your 24 words uh, and uh, and think about your OPSEC for uh, storing your uh, 24 words. I won't give you my OPSEC, but uh, you should think about uh, yours. That would be my summary in uh, one minute. (laughs)
0: Charles, thank you so much. If people are looking to learn more about these subjects, uh, do you have any resources or any top of the rabbit hole uh, re- top of rabbit holes that people should go down?
1: Um, we We have a podcast series on, on Ledger, which is uh, on the ledger. Uh, this, one, this one is quite interesting. There are plenty of uh, of uh, edu- educational content um, and yeah there are plenty of uh, resources online. Um, Stefan Rivera, I like, I like what he does a lot. Also, very oriented uh, in Bitcoin, but uh, but quite interesting as well. Um, what else? Yeah, there are plenty of things online which is uh, which is good quality, and uh, Bankless is one of them, of course. Listen, Bankless. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, i appreciate that charles thank you so much for helping me guide some of these uh crypto newbies down the uh, rabbit hole of uh, security and web3 it's a crucially important topic so thank you for everything that you're doing over at ledger to make this easier for us yeah thank you for having me cheers bankless nation you know the deal risks and disclaimers eth is risky crypto is risky DeFi is risky managing your own private keys is risky, but it's also why we are here. You could lose what you put in. We are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me anything, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the bankless nation.